the child goes to be with Jesus is the message today. And I'm reading from 2 Samuel chapter 12, starting at verse 16. David therefore inquired of God for the child, and David fasted and went and lay all night on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him in order to raise him up from the ground, but he was unwilling, and he would not eat any food with them. And then it happened on the seventh day that the child died. The servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Behold, while the child was alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to our voice. How can we then tell him that the child is dead? He might do himself harm. But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David perceived that the child was dead. And so David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He's, He is dead. And so David rose from the ground, washed, anointed himself, changed his clothes. And he came into the house of the Lord, and he worshipped. And then he came to his own house, and when he requested food, they set food before him, and he ate. And then his servant said to him, What what is this strange thing that you have done? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept, but when the child died, you arose and you ate food. David said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and I wept, for I said, who knows, the Lord may be gracious to me that the child may live. But now the child has died. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. We should be grateful for that very realistic passage of Scripture because it's one of the few places in the Bible where we get a close-up view of what happens when a child dies and how a godly king, though still imperfect, we get to see his reaction to the death of his child. Let me give you four thoughts. First, we know where children go when they die. Christian people have found hope in David's words for generations. In verse 23 of our text, he said, Now that he has died, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I I will go to him, but he will not return to me. And so David says, "I, I I can't bring the child back. He knows this. But there's something else here. Fortunately, bringing the child back is not the only way that reunion can take place. David will get up, he will wash, he will eat, he will move on eventually with life. All the while knowing that each day he lives brings him closer to the day when he will go to be with his child. In other words, here's the idea. Time isn't creating more distance between him and his child. 
every day that passes is diminishing the distance. It's getting him closer to when he will see his son again. By the way, we do know where the child went because David said he would go to him and we do know where David expected to go when he died. Surely goodness, mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell, you know it, in the house of the Lord. That's what David meant when he said, I can't bring him back, but I will go to him. But Pastor Don, what about What about sin, Pastor Don? Doesn't the Bible say that everyone, all of us, doesn't it say we're all conceived in sin? And yeah, it does. It does say that. Well then, how how can we know for sure that children conceived in sin, how can we be sure? Strong faith needs more than sentiment. To answer that question. We need God's word. We need something sure to stand on. And the Bible talks about that situation very specifically, though a lot of people don't know it. It's dealt with, and these aren't verses that just roll off the page the way Psalm 23 just rolls off the page. But the Apostle Paul talks about this very situation in Romans 5, 12 and 13. Try and follow his thinking. He says, therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, that would be Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to everyone because all sinned. And then he says these strange words. For until the law... Sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there's no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses. Of course, the law didn't come until Moses. Even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam. Think about this just for a minute. We know from Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2... How God judges sin. The Bible tells us. People are judged for sin in two ways. People who have the law of God. God's revelation in his word. They're judged by their disobedience to that. People who don't have the law of God. Who have never heard God's message. They're judged by their failure to live up to their own conscience. And Paul says in that way, everybody... People with the law, people without the law. Everybody stands guilty before God. But, then he talks about a third group. And it's in that 14th verse. Where he says, there are people who haven't sinned like Adam at all. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of of the offense of Adam. You don't have to be a theologian. We all know how Adam sinned. He disobeyed God. God told him what he shouldn't do, and he did it. But I hope you noticed in our text, Paul specifically, 
specifically zeroes in on a group of people who haven't disobeyed God like that. They haven't disobeyed the law of God. And they haven't reached an age of accountability before the inward law of conscience. And that can only apply to two groups of people. Young children and people who may be so developmentally challenged that they aren't capable of processing moral judgments like that. Yeah, children do die. God takes 151,000 people every year out of this world. All sorts of ages. So yes, children do die. Paul says we all experience the results of sin, even those who haven't participated in the guilt of sin. And so here is the loving teaching, the, the firm unshakable truth of God's word for a time like this. It's, and it's this, that all children are covered by the atoning blood of Christ until they reach an age of accountability where they can personally reject. Only the gospel gives you a biblical hope like that. And so David has this confidence. He's not guessing. His child was with the Lord. We have this confidence. We can't bring children back. We wish we could. But we can, through the offer of eternal life that comes from Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, we will go to be with them. We will go to be with them. Second thought I have, we can see the wisdom and beauty of honoring and worshiping God even in the midst of sorrow and loss. It's in that 20th verse. It says, David arose from the ground couldn't even stand up, broken, rose from the ground, washed, anointed himself, changed his clothes, came into the house of the Lord and, and worshipped. We know, we read it, we know the way he prayed for that baby to live. We know how much he, he grieved. We know how much he missed that child, but because, says Paul, we don't sorrow as those who have no hope. We, we still look to the Lord, even in these times of grief and loss. And, and we center our hearts on three things. When David goes into the house of the Lord and he worships, I'm thinking of three things that we do. We honor God as the one who gives eternal life beyond the grave. There is no other hope except through Christ. Secondly, we worship him because he can work all things together for good as we continue to trust in him. And third, so we honor him, we worship him, we come to him as the one who gives strength beyond our own measure and a peace that passes earthly understanding. Where would we be without verses like this? Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. You will keep him in perfect peace because his trust is in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For in God the Lord we have an everlasting rock. Isaiah 40, 29 and 30. He gives strength to the weary. And to him who lacks might, he increases power. 
Psalm 147.3, he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. The third point I want to draw out of this text is a question. When young children die, how will we know them? How will we recognize them when we get to heaven? Our minds go to questions like that. What about really young children? What about a baby? What about an infant? What about a miscarried baby? We press for details that are hard to get a handle on. But I do think there is at least some help for us in the scriptures. I've been fascinated with the account Matthew records in Matthew 17, just four verses. You know this account. The Mount of Transfiguration. Matthew writes and he says, Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was, he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his garments became white as light. Listen, and behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. And, and Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here. One for you. Now, this is Peter speaking. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And I can't tell you the number of times I've read that passage. Peter has a silly request. But I can't tell you how many times I've read the passage and thought, but there's something in his question How did Peter, how did any of the disciples know who these people were? Moses and Elijah? If you know any biblical history at all, it's for sure that they had never met Moses or Elijah. Hundreds and hundreds of years separated them. They had absolutely no way of knowing. There were no cameras They had no way of seeing what Moses looked like or what Elijah looked like. And yet there's this instant recognition. I don't want to press things farther than we can, but it just seems to me that we will have a different way of knowing in heaven. I'm praying I don't look exactly the same in heaven. Paul says somehow we will know fully just as we are fully known. My last thought. After all is said and done, here we are, we all gather, and there's not a one that doesn't stop and think, why, why so young? It really does no good to tell people not to ask Why? I don't think it's a bad question. I don't think it's a bad question because Jesus asked it. Remember Jesus on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's your Lord. 
frankly, I think there are reasons why occasionally young children die, and I want to just look at two of them. First, God uses these events to set our hearts more fully on eternity and the kingdom yet to come. This is not a sermon illustration. This is absolutely true. I had a friend out in Western Canada who uh, for about three years raised sheep on a farm. He thought he would make money on it. And he found that it's really hard to get the sheep back into the little barn that he had at night. They didn't like going back there. And I'll never forget when he explained to me the secret that he learned. Instead of running around like a madman trying to herd up all these sheep, he discovered that if he picked up a new lamb under each arm, just tiny little lambs, he would take one and one, and he would walk into the barn. And you know what would happen? The ewes would follow the lamb. And then the rest of the flock would follow the ewes. David, I can't bring him back, but I'm following. Same place. Same place. God uses these events to keep us from ever settling here. That's our tendency. God refuses to allow us to think of this as home. We know it doctrinally, but God refuses to let us put roots down here, to anchor ourselves here. Look around this room this morning. In every row, there are those who have lost precious loved ones. And I'll tell you what is true of all those hearts here today. Everyone who has lost a precious loved one is automatically less inclined to settle here. They don't just miss their loved ones. Their roots in this world get loosened. And that's God at work. I said there were two reasons. The second is, I think children die to instruct careless people. Graves come in all sizes. God in his grace reminds us that we don't get to calculate on a long life. Don't we do that? We just assume, don't we? This service tells us that there's not one of us who can be careless or casual with eternal issues. That eternity doesn't just wait for us, it presses in on us. It makes all our earthly concerns small. And all of this urgency should make Jesus stand out in all his glory. The only redeemer, God the Son, who died, by the way, never experiencing middle age. So it is a good verse, isn't it? It is a good verse that Simo read. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish. We know everybody dies. So it's not talking about death. It's talking about perishing. Should not perish. 
but have everlasting life. Let me give you another quote from Jesus. It doesn't get read very often. It's a direct quote from our Lord. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father in heaven. Pray with me.